0: Hello and welcome to the first 2023 edition of Critics Roundtable. I'm RA senior producer, Chloe Lula, and you are listening to the RA Exchange. Today I'm joined by our in-house staff writers. We're refreshing the format this year, inviting our critics to reflect on the releases that defined the month, as well as the industry trends and news that's circulating around the music sphere. This month, I'm speaking to Andrew Rice and Kiana Mickels, RA's in-house critics, about some of the year's most exciting new releases. They also raise questions about who music is made for and what an album's intended audience is, the strategy behind releasing multiple albums at once, the pop electronic music crossover, and the deeper implications of mainstream musicians appropriating underground
1: tropes and themes. This is a millionaire. (laughs) Um, I'm I'm not sure about, The other guys but you know they're all like very well off um these three white djs um basically you know breathing new life into new york dance music um so yeah i felt like i had to write about this these two albums that skrillex put out very carefully um with that context i'm going to jump into this conversation with
0: our editor's brief introductions We'll also be talking about hardgroup Techno, Kalela, The Return of Berghain Techno, and, of course, Skrillex. Stay locked. I hope you enjoy.
2: I am Andrew Rice. I am the deputy editor slash music editor at the company, so I'm in charge of a lot of the top-level curation of what we cover. I run the review section. I curate. The breaking through art of DJing, art of production, and art podcast. So I'm kind of involved in a lot of uh, different sections of the website. So. Well,
0: and Kiana, you've been on the podcast before, but maybe you could reintroduce yourself for people who are just listening for the first time.
1: Yeah, uh, my name is Kiana Nichols. I am a music critic at Western Advisor, um, and I. Uh, As a staff writer, I'm also writing features, um, doing these little podcasts, um, and basically doing any kind of writing that's needed on the site. Uh, And yeah, uh, recently I have been focusing on the intersection between pop music and dance music. Let's start by discussing
0: some of the noteworthy releases that have already come out this year since we're heading into March. It seems to me like there has been a resurgent interest in what I consider to be a throwback Berghain sound. So minimal stripped back techno that we would have heard on the dance floor around like 2013. I know Marcel Dutman just put out a pretty stellar LP in the Spain at the end of last year. And Fadi Mohem, who's a new Berghain resident and he's become a bit of a club poster boy, uh, just put out a release on his own label at the end of January. Andrew, you wrote that this release is quote unquote, close to perfection. Um, can you provide some more thoughts?
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's definitely you know a bit down to nostalgia. Maybe as you said, it's like, it sounds like music from 10 years ago and I'm old. I went to Burkheim for the first time more than 10 years ago. So, um, but yeah, I mean, Especially at a time when uh, techno is getting a lot more maximalist and both either like really melodic or really hard and loopy, fast, this kind of techno just, it, it has like kind of like a implacable like soul quality to it, there's space to breathe, there's, there's atmospherics to it uh, and it reminds me of like the kind of techno I really fell in love with like 15 years ago. Uh, and, and it's close to perfection because it just feels like the ideal of that sound. It's not like it's terribly uh, innovative or anything, but it's not supposed to be. It's just like a really, really good example of, of Debbie local techno.
0: Why do you think we're circling back to this kind of classic dance music trend right now? Because um, I find it interesting that it's coming back into fashion at the same time as this pretty maximal IBPM
2: music. I think it's probably just maybe a, a reaction, a reaction to it. I mean, if you think of DJs like Fadi Moham, they probably, you know, came up going to Berghain, were influenced by that sound, so it's natural thing. They would kind of make that sound that's from like 10, 15 years ago. Um, and, you know, I, I know a lot of older techno DJs who are not really into the kind of like BPM, arms war, you know, how fast can you go, the cabaret influences, the hardcore influences. So it, it makes sense that the recent DJs. Trying to take it take it back to a slower uh, a slower pace and there's always gonna be you know some some young, <laughs> youngsters for lack of a better word who are gonna be into that style or the other.
0: While we're on the subject of techno, let's talk about Nina Is it Nene H? Nene Ha? I thought it was Nina.
2: Nina? I, I don't know. I always thought it was Nene H.
0: Okay. So let's talk about Nina H. <laughs> Um, We just covered her in a feature on the site after the release of her new album, Trifecta. And Kiana, you reviewed this and gave it an RA recommends stamp. So in a nutshell, what was your take on it?
1: I really enjoyed this record. Um, I think everything that comes from her is just always so refreshing. Um, in my review, I mentioned seeing her play at Uniforms festival for the first time, um, which was like one of the first things I thought about because she had such like a physical response to the music she was playing and When I listen to this music, it is like, you know, I described, you know, her shoulders jerking as she played um, this music, and I feel like there's like headstone techno, and this is like shoulder jerking techno, it's like music that is so driving, um, but is also like bouncy enough um, to really make you move. Yeah, while we're on the subject of Berlin techno, um, this record was influenced by three cities that um, have really shaped her as an artist. Um, So there was um, "Luck and Lie, which is an ode to Berlin um, and um, it's oriented around Nick Mattia's vocals, which um, I love, just like, yeah, it just um, involves um, a lot of, um, I guess, like mundane conversation that you hear in the club. Like there's the line that I love the most, which is just like, my feet hurt. Um, And it's over this like very um, like hard, but like also bouncy percussion, um, and, like, these, like, really driving scents that I think, um, really make her techno so, um, energetic. And,
0: uh, yeah. You mentioned in the review that it's quite different from some of her past releases. How would you say that it departs
1: from what she's already put out? hmm Well, um... I actually feel like this record is kind of her returning back to her typical style. Um, I think um, what you're probably referring to is her um, album that she put out last year, which is more of like a dark ambient album that was her um, processing um, the death of her father. So that was kind of... um, uh, yeah, her drifting away from the typical like groovy techno sound. So, so this record and that album are a bit different because yeah, she was straying away from her typical sound to I guess get more introspective and reflective. That piece.
0: So Kiana, as you already mentioned, you've become one of Ari's go-to voices for crossover pop music criticism. And we're seeing more and more of this crossover between the mainstream and the underground. Um, You've lovingly written about Kalilah's album, Raven, which was her first album in six years. Can you tell me about your impressions of it, including your assertion that it's actually more ambient than it is pop?
1: Sure. Um, yeah, I was kind of um, I kind of had trouble with uh, categorizing this album because um, it I wouldn't call it entirely well an ambient album um, in I guess like t- the traditional way you think of ambient like there are influences of R and B jungle and dance hall and I guess when I wrote that. Listening to this album many times, it kind of made me think, you know, like what if we expanded our definition of what ambient is, um, especially if a black woman is doing it and, you know, um, taking, um, inspiration from all these different, um, black genres. Um, but I think, um, some good backgrounds for Raven is that in 2019, she released an ambient mix called Aquaphoria for, um, I believe it was the 30th anniversary of Warp Records. And that had her singing on top of um, all these classic ambient records. And um, there are similar themes um, between that mix and this album. Um, Like, Aquaphoria literally means, like, love of water. Um, And in Raven, there are a lot of water motifs throughout the album. Like, in the cover, she's literally, um, like, immersed, um, submerged in water. Um, And there are, you know, like, little, like, sounds of water bubbling um, and, like, splashes um, throughout the album. Um, so yeah, um, I think that, yeah, there are definitely dance music influences throughout the record but it's a lot more subdued, um, it feels very meditative and it's kind of the album that you can kind of just like let play out in the background for hours and just notice little thing little new things each time you listen to it.
0: In your review, you also write that pop music has become more hyper, more disco, and generally more conscious of nightlife culture. What do you think has instigated this shift, this kind of, this
1: mutual cross-fertilization of influences? Sure. Well, I think thinking about um, Raven specifically and Actually, in, yeah, in that part of my review, I think I hyperlink, or no, I do actually mention um, Rake's album, Honestly, Nevermind, and Beyonce's Renaissance. Um, and I think there, that we're in a moment where Black artists in the mainstream are trying to you know, reclaim electronic music um you know obviously to varying degrees of success um you know that part is debatable but i think there is um yeah this um i guess like expanding communal knowledge where um um artists with these platforms are trying to um yeah take back the roots of electronic music um but in Raven, I think about um, the track Contact, which is just following Kalala hanging out with her friends, and um, there um, is this line, loneliness I see in your eyes, it might just render you blind, been getting harder these days, contact we just have to make. So I think there's um, also this um, desire, um, to, you know, after um, lockdown and after not having the option to go to the club and hang out with your friends and like have a sense um, of escapism and much needed release, um, I feel like a lot of artists want to, yeah, like join in and celebrating and um, just like honoring the joy that comes with um, being on the um, dance floor.
0: Yeah, totally. Um, Chal Ravens actually wrote a really good essay about this, where she examined this trend of like pop electronic music crossover, and she she basically made the same claim, and that we're seeing a lot more DJs throwing pop music edits into DJ sets partially because it's, yeah, it's like a celebration of like being back together in like an IRL context. Andrea, I don't know if you had any other thoughts on the the pop music phenomenon.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's happening in both directions. Um, I don't know if I would agree that like the proliferation of like poppy dance, music and edits necessarily has to do with the pandemic. Um, I think it's more just the energy of younger people who don't care as much. Um, you know, like, again, I'm an I'm, I'm, I'm old guy here now, but like, you know, 10, 12 years ago, it wasn't like, unless it was a really well done edit of a cool artist, like Aaliyah, for example, like it wasn't cool to like edit a Britney Spears track or something like you would, you would be like laughed at or, you know, you people would think like, you're trolling and it wouldn't like always inspire joy the way it does now to hear like a familiar song to dance for, like people, people were much more serious, it feels like. And some of that seriousness has melted away, which I think is a, a mixture of younger coming in and also a lot of the narrative around focusing on dance music roots and its ability for not really escapism, but for togetherness and celebration. You know, so it's like the narrative has shifted. Even with like dark techno music, it still feels like it's more fun than it used to be. Um, it's not. It's not about the, uh, being a serious like record collector in the same way um, or like playing like only tracks, you know, no one's ever heard of. There, there's still, there's still a corner of that in dance music, but people are generally much open to silliness and fun, which I think it's also just like a, a cyclical thing, like look at the nineties, you know, a, a lot of kind of silly, funny dance music and 2000s, minimal, kind of more serious, you know, everything just works in a cycle. And I think it's kind of the same with, uh, pop music producing dance music. Every 10 years, there'll be like a new wave of, of dance pop, like we had it with david getta etc in the late 2000s early 10s but um i think it's interesting with drake and beyonce because drake is like borrowing from like the, the cool guy like rich people dance music like his you know there's there's a video of him at dc10 and he beat that just before uh honestly nevermind came out and honestly nevermind is borrowing more from artists like tale of us Black Coffee, like a lot of like big, big techno and house artists who play like the big clubs with expensive tickets, et cetera, where someone like Beyonce is noticing more of the the way people trying to emphasize the roots of dance music and especially of black artists trying to reclaim dance music. And so I feel like they're using the same materials but working very different spirits. Drake is like trying to be cool and sound like global and hip and Beyonce presumably it's trying to emphasize that the queer roots of dance music in a more thoughtful way.
0: That's interesting. So continuing on the pop thread, Andrew, you reviewed Caroline Polachek's latest release. What did you think about it?
2: Um, I think it's a really fantastic uh, like art pop album that borrows from electronic music in a different way. Like it's, this one's very nineties with a lot of uh, like William Orbit, Madonna, Light influences. Um, like some Brick Pop vibes, and Two step. Uh But what I think is really interesting with her is the way that the electronic community has kind of embraced her. Uh, because, you know, she started off in an indie pop band called Chairlift. And then after that was kind of trying to find herself. And she met Danielle O'Harl, some piece of music, who helped co-write and co-produce her, her debut album, Pang, which came out in 2019. Um, and it's kind of in a slow burn in all of like the people who are into Charlie XCX, and um, PC Music, and a lot of like kids who are dancers have kind of embraced her, and I feel like Desire, I Want to Turn Into You, which is what the album's called, is another example of of an artist taking dance music influences, but in a very gentle and like authentic way for them, because, you know, there are dance tracks on the album, but most of them are pretty soft. They're not necessarily working in the club, um, but it still feels like dance music is part of the lexicon of language. Um and also, you know, Beyonce, Beyonce's album and Drake's album are about, are about dance music essentially, whereas this one is more using those sounds and ideas to explore like a really obsessive and transformative love relationship with someone else. Um, but I think it's one of the best pop albums of the last few years, for sure. Desire.
0: What did you think?
1: I really enjoyed it. Um, I I don't know. I think, like, I've been feeling (laughs) also very romantic lately. (laughs) And I just really, I don't know, I've just been reading a lot about the inspiration behind the album. And I'm all for an album with a story. And I just, yeah, I loved reading about, like, How, um, the title track was about, like, a bratty, messy, slutty spiral. And I just really enjoyed how indulgent this album felt. Um, like, in its production, um, in, you know, her vocals, um, which I think are always, uh, like, I just love her range, um, yeah, so I think that's what really, uh, more than anything, really attracted me to this record is that kind of like, like whimsical, um, indulgent um, spiral that I feel like it represents.
0: So closing out the pop music section of this podcast, I think the elephant in the room. Is Skrillex's most recent release in collaboration with Fred Again and Fortet. Did either of you watch some of the footage from their show at Madison Square Garden?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's a. It looks fun. Um, but I also can't help think about how, like, once again, 10 years ago, um, the idea of FDJs playing in a stadium and like meat mugging or jumping on the decks and stuff like that was like a laughing stock. And now people are just okay with it. Um, and I do think that that is reflective of like people are more open minded now. school, cool. People are less stupid. Um, but it is like, what does this mean for dance music? And what does it mean when people in the media are saying that like, this is like, dance music being revived or fixed or whatever, when it's, like, these, these three, like, bougie dudes, one of whom was a pop star, are, like, pretending to be, like, underground DJs, I guess. Kind of, it's a very conflicting thing. And I guess I still have some of the uh, old attitudes left in me.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, I, well, I reviewed the album, and I think because of all of the discourse happening online about um again like these like three like scrolls is a millionaire. (laughs) Um I'm I'm not sure about um the other guys but you know they're all like very well off um these three white DJs um basically you know breathing new life into New York dance music um, which has, you know, it came back (laughs) um, like a couple of years ago um, after lockdown. Um, So, yeah, I felt like I had to write about this, these two albums that Skrillex put out very carefully um, with that context. And also, yeah, with the added context that, these three guys were um announcing these shows at during like one of the blackest weeks for New York dance music um Dweller Festival just ended here um which is like i think the only electronic music festival dedicated to showcasing like solely black talent so yeah it's it it's weird to like go from like seeing this like very bougie over the top idea of like, what is quote unquote underground music to then like actually like going to these events where um, a lot of my peers are playing um, and, you know, have like really worked really diligently to um, keep nightlife going um, in the city.
0: I know Skrillex has also been through an extended hiatus that you write about in the review. Um, I think a lot of it had to do with some delayed processing of some like personal grief that he was dealing with. Do you think that this multi-part album drop reflects any sense of artistic growth or maturation that happened during that time? Or do you think it didn't hit quite right?
1: Um, yeah, I think there are definitely some signs of artistic growth. Um, yeah, um, Andrew kindly edited <laughs> this review. Um, and one of the things we talked about is that, like, at this point, since he hasn't released, um, solo work in nine years, he's become more known for his collaborative work than anything else. Um, like yeah, in my review, I mentioned you know his worked with Vic Mensa and asap Rocky, and more recently, um he's worked with Beyonce and' hundred Gex, and I think these two albums really show his gift for collaboration and yeah, just finding um like raw um sometimes rising talent and um making production that has, you know, all the right melodies um, and larger than life climaxes that we know him for. And yeah, I think on the first album, Press for Fire, um some of the best tracks pay homage to Dubstep's UK origins. On Tears, for example, um, you see Bristol producer Joker feature and... My two other favorites on the album are Rumble and Hydrate, which enlist Grime and Steve in. And yeah, there are also moments that feel very nostalgic, but um, I guess the difference between relics then is now is that, you know, nine years ago, he was trying really hard to carve his own lane um, in dance music and now he's um uh comfortable comfortably um taking bits and pieces um of other genres or other influences um to inform his approach to production um and you see that a lot on the second album which was put out a day later and he leans more into a style that in my review, I think I call it like a Mura, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right, Mura Masa-esque blend of trap and hyperpop. And I actually enjoyed this album. Um, I, I think like a, a bit more than the first album. Um, again, I think, um, you know, there's his strength for a collaboration. He works with a lot of young, um, rising talent, um, like on my favorite track, Way Back. He features Pink Pantheress and Trippy Red, and there's this really good um back and forth between Pink Pantheress, who has this very surreal cuteness to her voice that's almost melancholic and then you have like the emo angst of Trippy red and then it's laid all over this um very sweet um garage pop Come on, brother. coming from the cracks and the crevices and There um, are good moments like that. And then there's also summertime where he works with Kid Cudi. And it's just like, I imagine that'll be playing everywhere by the time summer um, hits. Um, It's just like the perfect kind of um, just sugary um, trap pop. And yeah, and yeah, there are obviously moments that I mentioned in the review where it feels like he's either trying to appeal to a younger crowd or trying to appeal to an older crowd um, that wants to feel nostalgic. (laughs) Um, Like, yeah, on Don't Get Too Close, Um, there are some weird moments where... um, we hear Skrillex, um, singing, um, but he's like talking about making music in the garage with his friends and like his mom hates him and it, it gets kind of weird there. Um, and you're kind of like, who is he making this for? Um, but yeah, sorry. <laughs> I feel like I rambled there. <laughs> Feel free to cut any of that. <laughs> Sorry. No, I think I think this was all it's two albums. Like it's really well, hard to like condense it all. <laughs> on, on
0: that note, so why release two albums at once? It seems like this is also something that's not just unique to Skrillex. Like this has been happening
1: elsewhere. Right. Um, and that's also something. I mentioned uh like the first paragraph of this piece because yeah, when you know, originally I was assigned this and I was like, all right, I'm gonna write one <laughs> review um of one Skrillex album, and then it was like um, the weekend, I was like, Oh, <laughs> this is this is what we're doing. Um, um, how are we gonna meet deadline? But um <laughs> Uh, yeah, it made me think of, um, yeah, just a lot of other albums, um, that have been released in the past couple of years, um, that have either become, like, part of a surprise series, like, um, I'm thinking of, uh, well, Renaissance is a good one, um, Beyonce released Renaissance and then like shortly after she's like, actually, this is part of a series and we still haven't seen the other Renaissance albums, but I think like, you know, it's kind of this tactic to, um, you know, draw hype and get people excited about what's to come next. And, you know, maybe that will, um, entice someone to listen to an album. Um, There's also, yeah, the like four part um, ARCA series. Um, Like she released, I think she was originally supposed to release three albums at once. And then like, she was like, surprise, there's a fourth album. I don't know if you guys can correct me on that. But um, I remember that was That was a big moment and I sat with my friends and listened to the four albums from beginning to end and it was like an event. Um, and yeah, I also reviewed the Charlie XCX album, I think last year. And, you know, she released that album um, and then a day or two later and put out a deluxe album so it just
2: two weeks, two weeks later
1: two weeks later okay 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 but yeah um and then um who else ag cook releasing like his magnum opus <laughs> um and it just makes me um wonder if um yeah i mean obviously all of the artists I listed have a lot of resources and they have the money to, um, you know, find all the collaborators, um, and you know, like have have the studio time to make these large pieces of work. Um, but it makes me wonder, um, yeah, if um it's coming from an anxiety um of you know like People's short attention spans, um or
2: yeah. you know. So I feel like in electronic music, which has always had a, a tricky relationship with albums to begin with, uh, especially for dance music producers, it makes sense that artists want to find a way to make each thing seem like more than just an album, you know. And then again, we have in the, in the streaming paradigm, do albums matter at all? If anything, an album in mainstream music is like a glorified playlist to, to rack up plays based around like one or two singles. So. I think artists are facing the question of if they're going to put the effort into an album, how do they make it interesting or notable, or feel like more than just a playlist. So then you get concepts like Beyonce's trilogy or whatever it's going to end up being, you know.
0: Yeah. That's interesting. Um, are there any other trends that you've seen emerge over the last few months or even just the beginning of this year that you think are new and noteworthy to discuss?
2: Yeah, I mean, you're going to be hearing a lot more about this on President Kaiser next few months, but I think uh, hard groove techno has been um, a growing trend over the last year. Um, One of my favorite younger producers to do the style is Mexican producer Regal 86. Uh, Hard groove is a style of techno from the 90s. I like to actually describe it as like bongo techno. It's like really fast tight loops with a lot of hand percussion, like bongos or hand drums over it. So kinda of, like kind of has a house influence, but it's not very housey at all. Um, and for whatever reason, this like really loopy fast style has really caught on for a lot of younger producers. Um, and um, Benson, who coined the term has a label called hard groove, which is still going and you now it's getting more attention. So I feel like you know, we, we talked about really fast, like uh, hardcore influence techno, we talked about bird ride style techno, I think hard groove is another big thing that's you know gonna become bigger this year.
0: Yeah, totally. I know D-Dan has kind of been at the vanguard of that Um, and it's interesting because there are a few artists I've talked to in the last few months who told me that they've dramatically changed their sound from just being more like straight ahead techno DJs to like really intentionally like doing this hard sound, so. Um,
2: something, something shifted, for sure.
0: So looking ahead to the next few weeks, few months, are there any releases on the horizon that you're particularly excited by?
1: Yeah, in March, I'm really excited about um, the new Surgeon album as well as the Debbie Friday album. April, I think, in April, I think Yeji's gonna put out Album. Um, it's been like a few years since we've heard um like a complete um, full in from her. So yeah, definitely excited about that.
2: Yeah, I think the, the album is interesting. uh Want to talk about it in the, in the context of like its big pop crossover electronic albums because the album is uh, spoiler alert a lot less dancey than her previous stuff, and it also like brings to mind what she said earlier like who is this music for? So I'm really interested to see how it's, uh, it's taken. Um, you know, because some albums are for next to people and they'll have a bit of a crossover. Or some al- albums like Caroline Polachek, where they're like uh, quote unquote for something else, but they're picked up by dance music people. So I'm, I'm very curious to see how the EG albums received. Um I also think the uh, upcoming Fever Ray album is really special. And another example of an artist who uses electronic music uh, with a lot of lofty themes and like groundbreaking music, not in a dancey way, but um, that's another like I think like Kolella level album uh, with crossover potential in our in our scene. Um, and it, it's it, it it came out last week, but I think the new Cochin album on Ghostly is really special. Uh, like ambient '90s IDM. I've always thought he was good, but this one is like especially good. I'm really excited about that.
0: Cool. I have to check that one out. Well, I am really curious to hear your thoughts on those in the next couple of months after everyone's had time to listen to them. But yeah, thank you so much for your thoughts and reflections.
2: Thank you, Chloe.
0: Yeah, thanks, Chloe. Talk to you next Critics Roundtable. Thank you for listening to Resident Advisors Exchange. You can browse our full archive of episodes on your favorite podcast platform. If you love this show, leave us a review and a rating as it helps us get our stories to more ears and subscribe to our channel to keep up to date on everything we have coming out. If you have ideas for someone you'd like to hear on the RA Exchange or documentary or series ideas you'd like for us to explore, feel free to reach us over email at exchange at RA.co. I'd love to hear from you.